We'll read Nahum chapter 2, and uh, it's my intention to complete this chapter today with uh, just some uh, some byway of looking at uh, chapter 1, verse 15 in more detail. Uh, the destruction of Nineveh is coming. The chapter 2, the first five verses, really set the stage. It leaves, it leaves you right there at the wall of, uh, of Nineveh, uh, ready to take over. Uh, chapter 6 and following is the destruction of Nineveh. It includes a picture of Nineveh as a, a lion. And then uh, uh, the summary statement in verse 13, uh, where God says, this, this is what I'm going to do. The scatterer has come up against you. Man the ramparts, watch the road, dress for battle. Collect all your strength, for the Lord is restoring the majesty of Jacob as the majesty of Israel. For plunderers have plundered them and ruined their branches. The shield of his mighty men is red. His soldiers are clothed in scarlet. The chariots come with flashing metal on the day he musters them. The cypress spears are brandished. The chariots race madly through the streets. They rush to and fro through the squares. They gleam like torches. They dart like lightning. He remembers his officers. They stumble as they go. They hasten to the wall. The siege tower is set up. The river gates are opened. The palace melts away. Its mistress is stripped. She is carried off, her slave girls lamenting, moaning like doves and beating their breasts. Nineveh is like a pool whose waters run away. Halt, halt, they cry, but none turns back. Plunder the silver, plunder the gold. There is no end of the treasure or of the wealth of all precious things. Desolate. Desolation and ruin, hearts melt and knees tremble, anguish is in their loins, all faces grow pale. Where is the lion's den, the feeding place of the young lions, where the lion and lioness went, where the cubs were with none to disturb? The lion tore enough for his cubs and strangled prey for his lionesses. He filled his caves with prey and his dens with torn flesh. Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts. I will burn your chariots in smoke, and the sword shall devour your young lions. I will cut off your prey from the earth, and the voice of your messengers shall no longer be heard. We uh, stopped last week at uh, verse 11 of, of chapter 1, and as we come to uh, verse uh, 12 through 14, there is a, a split prophecy there. Uh, uh, it speaks to Nineveh in verse 12a of chapter 1 and verse 14, uh, and Israel is uh, couched in between. Uh, this is the first time that uh, Nahum uses the words, thus says Yahweh. Uh, Nahum's prophecy was already marked by the words of Yahweh. You remember he said he he, ha he had a, uh, a vision. He, he was sure of his calling. Uh, but here it's underscored again. The uh, uh, first part about Nineveh says, um, Though they are at full strength and many, they will be cut down and pass away. So Nineveh will be cut down and pass away. The next section uh, concerning Israel, uh, verse 12a, Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more, 
and now I will break his yoke from off of you and will burst your bonds. So the affliction of the Assyrians will be broken from Israel. And then he goes back to, uh, uh, back to Nineveh. The Lord has given a commandment about you. There, there's a, a dangerous thing there. There's an element there uh, that we need to recognize. That God has given a commandment concerning them. No more shall your name be perpetuated from the house of your gods. I will, I will cut off the carved image and the metal image. I will make your grave for you are vile. And he pronounces his commandment against the, the city. They, they, will, they will be cut off. Uh, I, I've been interested this week because the, the records uh, of the Assyrian kings is available. People actually, people actually can can look at them and read them and see uh, the things that, that they said. Uh, in reference to cruelty, there was, a, there was one king that said, I, I took the skin off my enemies and I, I laid it out in the sun. And, and uh, the other one talked about their chariots and their uh, technology. We'll, we'll see that a little bit later when we talk about a mantelite or a, a siege wall. But, the, but these were, uh, these were uh, advanced people in, in warfare. There was a note about their chariots that their their chariots somehow they made them they made them extra light so that they could be uh, so that they be, could be quick and uh, and move around quickly and uh, it's really interesting to see some of those historical things. But God is going to cut them off because they're vile, they're contemptible, uh, idolatry and and vileness is is always addressed. And God deals with it, and that's what he says that he will do. He's made a commandment against them. And then verse 15 speaks of good news. And we're going to spend some time here. This is Yahweh's ultimate hope and ultimate peace. Behold upon the mountains the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. Keep your feasts, O Judah, fulfill your vows, for never again shall the worthless uh, pass uh, by you. He'll be utterly cut off. So there's a, there's a, a prophecy of peace and prosperity. That, and there were two messages at the time. Uh, messengers were used uh, that day, uh, actually right up to the Civil War. You always had somebody that was a messenger. The battle's going on. They would say, go tell so-and-so I need more troops. So they'd take off on a horse and they'd go. Uh, in the Battle of the Alamo, they sent a messenger out. Here's these 189, 200 men uh, against an entire Mexican army, and they, they sent messengers out. Go find us any help that you can. And the messengers came back and said, nobody's coming. So somebody, at some point, came back and said, Nineveh is overthrown, just like the Lord said. But... God said, there's other good news. And uh, we'll look at what Paul says about it. This uh, publishing peace and, uh, and, uh, and good news is also uh, in Isaiah 52.7. Isaiah 52.7 is a little bit different. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes Salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. That would be a message that 
would be encouraging for Nahum and the, and the people in his day. God is still on the throne. It's encouraging for us to know that there's a message of salvation and, and, uh, and our God reigns. Uh, Paul uh, understood this passage in, a, in the gospel sense and, and uh, in an inspired sense as well. And uh, I'd like you to turn to Romans 8 for a period of time, uh, Romans 10, excuse me. And we'll look at what, what Paul says. It's interesting the way that he uh, deals with this uh, passage because he starts uh, at the end. He starts, uh, if you would, with people already believing the message, and then he works back and says, well, where did they hear this message from? Uh, so Romans 10, uh, verse 9. What does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. There's the good news. There's the, the message, the word of faith that they proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call upon him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, here's Isaiah's text, Nahum's text, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the word of Christ. And I just wanted to take some time to underscore uh, the good news, underscore that there is always good news for God's people. It may be that an enemy uh, is vanquished. It may be that somebody says, your candidate won the election, and we would say, good, that ends this uh, uh, period of time when we were under somebody that, that we didn't want to be in office, that we couldn't really support but also, it's the good news of the gospel. Paul says the word of faith, which we proclaim. And he starts off by quoting Deuteronomy 30, verse 14. And, and Moses is wrapping up and speaking to the people. And he's telling them things that they need to listen to. He actually says, this is not too hard. And the word is not far off. That's where Paul's gets that. The, wor the word is, is near you. It's encouraging to, for us to think about that. The, the gospel is, is, is near us. It's not too hard. It's not far off. Yes, unbelievers listened to Jesus and said, this is a difficult saying. Who can listen to it? And they walked away. That's what's going to happen. But God publishes peace and he publishes the good news, doesn't he? You said, he sure does. If I didn't hear the good news, I wouldn't be saved. That's, that's what Paul's saying. But Moses is telling him, don't say it's too hard. 
Don't say it's far off. It's it's a saying that I don't understand. He says, the word is near you. It's right there. I'm telling you God's will. I'm telling you what God wants you to do. Paul says, it's not what Moses said, but he says, it's the word of faith that we proclaim. Moses was a type of Christ. He led the people. He interceded for the people. He suffered with the people and he instructed the people. And Paul says, now we've taken up the same thing because we preach the word of faith that we proclaim. It's a common word uh, uh, for uh, preaching. It was all God's words. It's all God's preaching. It's all proclamation. It's Isaiah's good news. It's Nahum's good news. But, but now it's what Paul proclaims. Now it's the word of faith. Justification by faith alone in Christ alone. That's the message. That's what he's, he's driving home. The book of Romans is uh, uh, much more of a, a, a theological treatise, isn't it? I'm going to prove to you that all men are sinners. That I'm going to prove to you that there's only, way, only one way that all sinners can be saved. And that's justification by faith. And you have no way out, chapter 5, because Adam's sin is on you. You're guilty and you're going to die. And those are the results. Well, you say, I wasn't there at the garden, but you would have sinned just like him. You said, why do I die? He said, they'll surely die, not me. No, God is sovereign. He's the, he's the potter, we're the clay. If he says from this point on, everybody that is born will die, that's what's going to happen. And Paul is proclaiming and preaching and declaring that there's a different message. And Romans 5 begins and says, in Adam all die, in Christ all are made alive. There's the message. He proclaims, he preaches, he declares, he's a herald. Those, those are what the word means. He, he tells Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, 7, I was appointed as a preacher. I was appointed to tell people and proclaim to people, there's good news, God saves sinners. Here's the method. Here's the way he does it. This, this is good news. Oh, didn't you hear Nineveh, Nineveh was overthrown? Oh, well, that's good. We don't have that enemy. But, but sin and death is the worst enemy. The devil in the world is a, a much worse enemy. Uh, over and over, it, it, it comes up again. Even Jesus says it. Don't fear the one who can kill what? The body. Babylon's coming. We've got to go out there and fight. I might be killed. Yeah, but fear the one who can kill the soul and dispatch it. Unbelievers forget that. You might have the last word that you think on the earth. I don't believe that. I'm an atheist. I'm an agnostic. I don't believe that. But God is going to have the last word for your eternity. You're going you're gonna to pass into the nether world where God controls everything. Your last breath. And then God has all the say. And Paul says, I've got good news. And he says, because, and as I said before, he starts with people who already believe. Uh, it's a believer's actions. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and it's only true heart confession. He's not talking about anybody who just says, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. No, he's talking about true confession, true belief. 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And that's important, isn't it? The resurrection is very, very important because the, the resurrection cascades and, and a, a domino effect of blessings comes from the resurrection. We'll, we'll look at first fruits uh, later, but the resurrection was Christ, the first fruits from the dead. And do you know what that means? That you can live forever because death is conquered and he's interceding. And he's at the right hand of the throne of God. We, in the studies in Revelation, we've already seen all these pictures. Here comes the lamb. Here comes this. Here comes somebody who's so bright, I would fall down dead. He's got a sword coming out of his mouth. He's got this. He's got that. And he speaks and he says, I'm the Alpha and Omega. I'm the, I'm the first and the last. And these people believe that. They believed it in their heart. And then inward conviction led to outward profession. And that's the natural thing, isn't it? No, I'm a Christian. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that he came and died to save sins. And that's what I believe. With the heart, a person believes and is justified. With the mouth, a person confesses and is saved. You mean that's all we have to do is believe and then start telling other people? No, once again, it's the sincere heart. Oh, I, I want to tell you about, uh, I used this treatment and I was cured of cancer. But I keep it quiet. It's nobody's business but mine. So you're going to go, not going to go to other cancer patients and says, why don't you call up Dr. So-and-so that his treatment cured me. But that's what a true believer does. We, we believe and we're justified. Our situation is fine. We're cured. We're helped. Sin is not applied to us anymore. And then we confess, I've been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul goes on and, and, and asserts from the scripture. The scripture says, uh, Romans 9.33, it's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And it's, a, it's, the, it's the suicide of unbelief, isn't it? Oh, I don't believe that. Here's salvation. Here's eternal life. Here's every day that you were ever sick or cried or, or sat by the death of a loved one or, or something. Here's every pain that you suffered in life being erased and you could live forever in eternal peace and happiness. And people say, well, I don't believe that. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. I'm offended. I'm offended with the way that God chose to save sinners. I don't like that. Bloody cross, somebody came down, this, that, this. I don't like that. And that's what it is. But it's salvation through Christ alone and faith alone. A stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, Paul says in 1 Corinthians. But then look at the power of the gospel. There's gospel unification. There's no distinction between Jew and Gentile. And that's good news for us. There's not one people of God. There's all people of God, a, 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 an amount that nobody can number. People say, well, oh, God chose people? That's not fair. Well, what do you think about Adam's sin is applied to you and you're going to die? He applied Adam's sin to everybody and he said everybody's going to die. What's fair about that in your mind? The potter has a right with the clay. He chooses whatever he wants to do. 
And people don't realize that in salvation, the glory of God and the mercy of God is exalted. Oh, that's not fair. Don't you know the God of the Bible doesn't do anything that's not fair? Don't you know that the judge of the earth always does right? All his decisions have perfect justice, wisdom, and, and, and everything in them. But there's no distinction because the Lord is the same Lord of all and he bestows riches on who? Everybody who calls on him. Not just Jew, not just Gentile, everybody. Everyone who calls will be saved. And then he, he, he's still going back. Here's people who are saved. They're calling on the Lord. But, he, but then he has four questions. How can you call on him in whom they've not believed? Well, you can't do that. You can't call on God unless you believe in God. You can't. All right. Well, the next question is, how do you believe if you never heard? Well, the answer is you can't. And the third question how can you hear without a preacher? And the answer is, you can't. You see where Paul's going with the importance of the message, the importance of, of, of somebody publishing peace and good news? Here comes the message. And look, he's running across the mountain. He's coming to tell us. What is he going to say? Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ saves sinners. Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. John chapter 16, the Holy Spirit comes to convince the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Many places nowadays, they say to have the Holy Spirit, there's all this stuff going on, and, and, the, and sin is never talked about. How can you have the Holy Spirit who convinces the world of sin and judgment and righteousness and never talk about sin? It must be a different spirit. And how, the fourth question how will they preach unless they're sent? And the answer is, they can't. So they can't do anything. Unless God calls preachers, unless God saves somebody and then calls them as a preacher, unless he, publishes, he gives messengers who publish the good news. And then Paul says, here's, here's the passage. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Gospel news. Uh, salvation news it, it answers all the questions because God ha has sent preachers always, always. Noah was charged with a, a, a mammoth task in a dark and difficult place. But Peter in second Peter says Noah was what? A blank of righteousness. A preacher. How? What, what do you mean? For a hundred years, he was hammering nails and building an ark. People must have thought he was absolutely out of his mind. But if you look at what Peter said, you would think, you know, he probably put that hammer down or that saw or those tools and said, let me tell you why I'm building this. There's a terrible, terrible judgment of God coming because man is, is wicked and God is righteous and God is angry at unrighteousness. He was called a preacher of righteousness. You would say, well, he, he, was, like, he was like famous. He built the ark. He did all this stuff. That, uh, Peter says, no, he was, a, he was a preacher. 
Same word as Paul, I'm appointed. And so I'm just stopping here, first of all, so that we, we can once again hear the good news. We can once again say, that's what I do. I believe and I'm justified and I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and I want to be saved. And I put all my trust in him and all my hope in him. Because I heard the good news. Somebody took the time to tell me. Today, there's all these shortcuts. There's no shortcut. There's no shortcut because a person has to hear the whole story. Oh, I saw this bird out the window and, and I felt converted or something. There's all sorts of stories. There's places where people don't even know. They don't even understand sin and judgment and righteousness. The, the context of Nahum, the context of all the prophets. You say, this is dark. You got some kind of dark streak in you? You're talking about the minor prophets? You got some dark stuff going on? No. What kind of beams of light come through the prophets? What kind of confidence that we could have in the minor prophets that we've seen prophecy after prophecy after prophecy fulfilled? Micah says, well, the, a shepherd king is coming, and there he is. He's born in exactly the right place. The declaration brings hope. Assyria is going to be destroyed. Nineveh fell, but it also uh, brings hope. Then God tells them to live peacefully. Keep your feasts, fulfill your vows. In the, in the context of war, in the context of a nation oppressing them, they couldn't do that. But he's telling them to, to do it in the right way. And there will be no more threat, he says. And then chapter 2. Here's a, a preparation and the siege, verses uh, 1 through 5. And then the battle, the picture of the lions, and then God's final uh, commands. Uh, the enemy ha has come. It's, he's called the scatterer. And notice the, the language. Man the ramparts, watch the roads, dress for battle, gird your loins, strengthen your flanks, one version says, and, and collect all your strength. And then Yahweh uh, takes a, 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 a little detour and talks about uh, uh, Jacob and Israel. The majesty of Jacob and Israel are, are going to be restored, uh, albeit temporarily, that once the Assyrians are the Assyrians were destroyed by Babylon, and, and uh, Judah was next. Jerusalem was next in a short period of time. But he gives them this, he gives them this respite. He gives them this comfort that, that the main enemy that you have right now is going to be destroyed. Verse 3, look at the, the building up and the coming of the war. Here's the soldiers. Uh, their shields are scarlet. Either they, either they had... The Babylonians and the Medes, either they had real red uniforms or, or it's talking about blood. There was blood on their shields and blood on their swords. And uh, one of the things says it was, not, it was not unusual for a warrior, some of them who were proud to keep bl their blood-stained shield or their, their uh, blood-stained armor. And these are all the battles that I've been through. And, uh, and, and notice how this builds up into this chaos uh, brandished spears and flashing metal. And, and the, the, there's many, many records of this uh, kind of battle. Hand-to-hand -hand combat. 
soldier to soldier, chariots and, and, uh, and the pictures in your mind, men screaming and yelling and horses neighing and wailing out and, and all sorts of chaos. Some of, the, some of the things I've read about the Civil War say the, the same thing. Finally, when, the, when there was this charge and they were close enough, uh, it was just crazy. But uh, even, even line to line in the age of cannons, the, 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 the men screaming out, their limbs being destroyed, their, their bodies torn, just screaming out. And if you didn't fall dead, you just slayed there and screamed out in pain. That, that's what's going on. There's this deafening chaos, this grotesque screams of this struggle. And then the defense is uh, prepared in verse 5, mustering and exhorting Nineveh. The, get the troops. They should be valiant. Get ready for the siege. There's a, a footnote in some of the uh, versions because it's called a mantelet. And a mantelet was, if I was going to attack you and you're in the castle, I have no defense. So a mantelet was a temporary defense that I would, I would put up. And you would try to you would try to get on ladders, right? You'd weaken the forces by a siege and you would try to get on ladders or other structures and then have a mantelette and block the incoming fire. And you've seen pictures of that, right? They're pushing the ladders over and trying to keep everybody off. But uh, the, other, uh, the other thing is a, a, a siege tower. And a siege tower was built to house the army and it was tall enough to go over the wall. So now you put a bunch of soldiers in, you push the siege tower up, and you go up and you start fighting at, at wall level. And then they come up and they go over the, over the wall. So the, it's, it, it's picturesque, muster, mustering and exhorting Nineveh's troops to be valiant and get ready because, because the conqueror is right there, they're right at the wall. And then you can see from, from verse 6, you can see from verse 6, it, it, it's over. It's no more right at the wall. Notice, the river gate is open. The palace melts away. Uh, it's a, a, a psalmic picture, isn't it, right? God melts mountains and he dries up rivers and seas. Here's a, how does a palace melt away? What a picture. The queen, or females, uh, all their protection is taken away. Uh, there are uh, uh, several... Uh, battle scenes you can you could see on television or in a in a movie and and all the soldiers are, are are in battle they're all in the defense and the women and children are hid someplace in the city well the idea is the babylonians and the medes and everybody came and the and the city's destroyed now here's here's thousands of defensive females and children what are they going to do Their protection is taken away. All their, all their defense is gone. Maybe a valiant one would pick up a sword. But look, they're stripped. They're carried off. They lament. They, they moan and they, and they beat their breasts. They're, they're totally defeated. In Nineveh's case, this was just an absolutely gigantic, impregnable city that was filled with wealth. And the siege comes and turns it completely upside down. And those are the reactions. Verse 8. It's like a pool emptied out. I don't know if you've ever seen that. 
somebody's pool and is emptying out. Once you break down the, the sides, right? I knew somebody that had that flexible pool. Oh, we're going to put new water in. You just pull the side down and wait for the water to go over. But it just floods over the place. It says Nineveh is like a pool emptied out. Here's the final call to the soldiers. Stop. Come back and fight. Verse 8. But none turns around. None turns. The they, they've grown so fearful, they say, I'm getting out of here. I'm getting out of here with one thing, my life, that's all. And, the, and the, it's like the commanders are saying, come back, no, wait and fight. And I say, well, you could stay there. I'm out. Total plunder, verse 9. Historical records about their wealth. Their wealth was accumulated from many past conquests. And they go and plunder this nation and that nation and this city and that city. And they would just take it all. You remember when the 185,000 soldiers were killed, the people in the city came and plundered what they had. It took a lot of food to plunder. I mean, it took a lot of food to feed 185,000 men. There was tons of stuff around. That's just, that's just an army on the move. What, what, what is this city? It, said they were, it says there's no end to their wealth or their precious things. Think about that. Hezekiah, Hezekiah in Isaiah chapter 39, he made the mistake. The king of Babylon's son comes to visit. His name is Merodach Baladin. In case you're looking for names for your sons. Uh, Isaiah chapter 39. And Hezekiah says, welcome to Jerusalem. Let me show you all the stuff that's here. And it's like the guy says, that's nice stuff. We'll be back. We're coming back. You got some nice stuff in here. As soon as he does it, Isaiah comes and says, what did you do? What did you show them? I showed them everything. And Isaiah prophesies, your sons, your sons are going to be taken away captive. Hezekiah, I, I think it's strange because he says, well, that's good because at least I'll have peace in my time. It's kind of a strange reaction to it. But he shows them everything. Verse uh, 10. Desolate. We've looked at the word desolation before. Desolation and ruin. Uh, conquering nations didn't, didn't leave much. Whether it was, was fire or anything like that. Uh, if it was an agricultural society, you know there's records. They, they would find rocks and just fill the fields with rocks. Yeah, try to plow that now. You've got to start all over again. They, they, it would just be desolate. And what's the reaction of these conquered people? Their hearts melt, their knees tremble, their anguish in their loins. It's the whole, it's the whole body, the whole, everything is shaken. And all faces grow pale. And then there's the picture of the lion in verse 11 and 12. And, and this, is, this, is, uh, this is God's uh, pointing to, to Nineveh and saying, this is what you were like. Nineveh's strength provided them peace and safety. A lion's strength provided him peace and safety. It's an extended picture of a peaceful lion family with lionesses and nothing bothers the cubs. Nothing. Uh, uh, nobody's going to go say, hey, Let's go mess with that lion family over there. 
Let's go tease the lion. You get some rocks. I'll get some sticks. But that's, but that's Nineveh. That's Assyria. Everything was fine. But what happened? They conquered and filled their cave, it says. There was this vicious tearing, but an, an, an apt picture. But it's all put away for them. All this stuff is put away. The cubs are provided for, the lioness is provided for, and everything's provided for. It's a nice, peaceful, happy lion family. And then God comes in verse 13 and says, Behold, I am against you. And that's the end of it. Take notice. It's a declaration from God. It's a formula we've seen before. I am against you, declares Yahweh of hosts. A common picture of our mighty God. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. And in verse 5, Isaiah says, I have seen the Lord of hosts. He's undone. First, the Lord of hosts is declared. Then Isaiah says, I've seen it. Including chapter 6. Yahweh of hosts, or the Lord of hosts, is mentioned 62 times in Isaiah's prophecy. He never forgot what he saw. And uh, we're, we're almost done. But my question is, have, have you seen a vision of who God is that you'll never, ever forget? That's what we have to do. Oh, well, you know, you know well, 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 no. Has Isaiah chapter 6, has Revelation chapter 1, has studies in what God does, have, has it permanently struck you of, of, of who God is? That it completely dominates our view. Isaiah can't, he, he can't complete his prophecy for the first six chapters. It's not there. He can't go 60 chapters without saying the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts, because he was in that room. He was wherever God revealed it. And God said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. He says, I'm undone. But it also never left his heart. It never left his mind. And then God gives this combined picture. He, he actually, he, he actually uh, shows their, their strength is going to get destroyed. They'll burn your chariots in smoke. And, and there's, there, there's writings about that. The, the, the Assyrians would say, nobody, nobody messes with our chariots. Are you kidding? We got the best chariots in the world. There's, there's, there's records of Israel that at, at a certain time they had no tools for war. And they were facing people who had chariots. And so that's not fair. The Assyrians said, oh, our chariots are the best. Not anymore. They're up in smoke. The sword shall devour your who? Young lions. He goes right back to the picture. There, that's the cubs. Hey, wait a minute. The lioness was happy. The cubs were happy. Everybody was happy. The big happy lion family. God says, no, I'm against you and it's going to happen. Your young lions, really all your soldiers, I'll cut off your prey from the earth. What did they have? Their prey was everything that was out there. A lion's prey is everything that's out there because the lion can kill anything. Oh, I think I'll have wildebeest today. Fine, you go get it. I think I'll have the, 
the buffalo today. I think I'll try this. I'll try that. Nothing can stop the lion. And now God says that there won't even be any prey for you to go out. And what's going to happen? You're going to starve. It's the picture of the siege. Where are we going to get stuff to eat? The, 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 the Babylonians and the Medes have been outside our walls for years. There's nothing to eat. In Israel, they were eating each other's children and dung. There's no prey. There's no one to hunt anymore. The lion picture again, no prey, no food, no caves, no dens filled with provision. God takes it all the way. And then no more messengers. Uh, the, the writers point to the, to the Rabshika that came and taunted Hezekiah and the Israelites. But we already mentioned messengers, uh, messengers had to be used at that time. You send those 185,000 men out there and they, they swept through and then they never come back. Probably somebody wasn't killed, right? The 185,000 is awfully neat and uh, a round number. But probably one day somebody came back and they were on the ramparts of Nineveh and said, here comes one person, two people, a handful, whoever. What happened? The army got wiped out. How? I don't know. One moment they were all there. The next moment they were all gone. That's what happened. There's no more messengers. No more messengers from Nineveh to taunt God's people. No more messengers to protect Nineveh. Here come the Babylonians, the messenger said. Too late. You're done. Well, uh, brethren, let's uh, close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask you to write these words on our heart. We're thankful that we have believed with our heart and we do confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord. Help us to uh, have that sense of your glory and your holiness that, that Isaiah did that just literally carried him through life. It carried him through his uh, prophetic utterances. It, it, it carried him uh, in his preaching. We're thankful for the preaching of the gospel. We do notice in our day that the the, the laborers are few, and we ask that you would raise up more preachers, raise up men who would uh, speak the truth, uh, and that uh, the result would be that sinners would be saved. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.